This episode is sponsored by Podgo. We use Podgo to monetize all of our podcasts and get paid within 24 hours. So if you're a podcast, want to get paid, be sure to check out Podgo. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. That's Podgo dot C-O. And be sure to enter our name in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. See you guys in the episode. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we welcome you to episode number 63 where today we are going to be talking about Newton's three laws of motion. The laws that basically changed science, like forever, in a big way. <laughs> I so guess, here we are I mean, talking about the big ones. I don't really know what they thought before the Newton's three laws. I guess it was more of just like you observe something and you write it down and you're like, okay, cool. This is a relationship that we have Probably. now. But I mm -hmm. guess Newton was the first guy to really piece it together. And he was like, there's this thing called a force that we can feel, right? But, you know, before you have the equations for forces and things like that, how do you really describe a force? And how do you say like, oh, the same thing that like causes my hands to warm up when I rub them together is the same like thing that I feel when like turning in a car and my body goes the other way. Like mm -hmm. they're both forces. It, it's all like transfers of energy and all that stuff. But when you put it all together mm -hmm. in the in the three laws of classical mechanics, uh, you know, basically, yeah, yeah, you get. Yeah, he uh, basically kind of invented the idea of classical mechanics like i mean classical mechanics is synonymous with newtonian mechanics i mean it's so based on it's, it's based laws. on it is based on newtonian mechanics right now actually technically wait that's not entirely true because uh in today's date like we also have these things called lagrangian and hamiltonian mechanics which also constitute classical mechanics mm. so, so technically newton off, isn't right? yeah exactly yeah. but newton started it off like he was the first one to start this whole this whole, uh, it's, it's amazing because some of his laws, obviously, like now we think about it as, you know, it's almost, it's obvious. And I'm just mm -hmm. going to give the third law as an example because it's, it's so straightforward. The every action causes an equal and opposite reaction. You know, like you push the wall, the wall is pushing you with the same amount of force. Mm -hmm. Like that idea is so, it's so intuitive that anyone can think about it. But the fact that he did and he put it into these papers, put it into these mathematical relationships beautiful That's and we're right. just gonna dive into those today and uh also yep. i wanted to say um actually i kind of i guess we'll just save it for later also i i kind of forgot yeah but let's just go into the news <laughs> and then I'll, i'm sure i'll remember later so let's go into we, um, the news we are close to 900 or 9,000 followers now on spotify mm -hmm. i'm sure mm -hmm. this time next week we will be at 9,000. so make sure to hit that follow button if you're listening yep. to us on spotify apple or anywhere actually it doesn't matter even youtube go for hello it. everybody on youtube just hit it hit the subscribe just button. Go for it. hit that subscribe um, hit that like button help the youtube algorithm because especially nowadays you know i've been seeing like some of these videos you know i mean you guys have definitely seen it you know from like seven and eight years ago just popping up into existence like this algorithm is crazy hmm. so we need to take advantage of it and we know all the listeners here at the Math and Physics Podcast, you know, they love physics, love math. They hopefully love algorithms. So, you know, help out the algorithm. Boom. Go click that like button. Also, almost <laughs> at 130,000 downloads in total. Ooh, it's going to be nice. it's going to be a good day when we reach a million downloads. <laughs> that's going to be awesome. That's a little that's a little farther. From... I don't think it's that far, to be honest. I feel like by the end, like like very easily. By the end of this next, like our second year of podcasting, we will be at a million. Like if we can go from zero to 130,000 within a year, then going from 130,000 to a million shouldn't be that much harder. You know what I mean? 
Anyways. I can see that. I can see. I mean, especially, you know, like we're creating content. Like every week, you guys know we have this stuff out. So, like, I think I can. For sure. Anyways. We got to wait. We got to wait and see. The point is, if you are listening to my voice right now, (laughs) pause the podcast. Go tell a friend to go listen to the podcast and then come back. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so uh, yeah. It. Oh yeah. Comment of the week today. We have a nice. Oh, let's get a it. nice comment. Simple, very to the point, by okay. Will Ring. He says, "Great podcast, comma, ten out of ten. Thank you very much, Will. Uh, we appreciate we the like comments. If you want to be the comment of the week next week, make sure to leave a comment." in the youtube comment section under this video and you might get selected mm-hmm. as the comment of the week next week um yep. other than that you can find us on instagram at math.physics.podcast we're almost at a thousand instagram followers by the way so that's oh, yeah. kind of nice that's true so you know if you guys are on instagram at all you know go go on instagram follow us because also if anything like our first place to update people is instagram Mm -hmm. like we'll either make a story a post or something about it and that's our first place because that's just logically where we can reach out to our followers the easiest and fastest so you know if you have an instagram account go follow us at math.physics.podcast 100 percent. all right sir let's get into into it newton's three laws obviously should we just troll the audience and start with the second law? <laughs> the second, uh, the second law is the big law, in nah, my opinion. Was, that's 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 the, that's the biggest law. But so I don't, I do not think we should start with. That. I was kidding. We're obviously gonna oh, go in, in uh, numerical chronological order. order. Did he actually wait? Do you think? No, I don't I think it's, chron- about it's chronological. Yeah, I never thought about the 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 whole reason behind one, two, and three, though. I think like, it's just like he he's like okay. Like why is he, he it one to, to like why isn't it the other way around? He had to give just, numbers to them, so he's just like I have three laws. Just this three laws, one, just so it's basically just a random number given to it. It's not like a significant. I mean, okay. I don't know that for sure. I mean, like, we don't know. Totally we don't know here. Wrong. We're just thinking. We're just thinking. Yeah, yeah. We're just thinking out loud. But like, it could be, it yeah, could be something deeper. So here we go. First law. Yeah. As stated, a body moves with constant velocity. Unless acted on by a force. Okay, so now let's deconstruct this sentence. Okay, this basically says that, and obviously, um, when we're talking about forces and things like that, it's important to kind of detach ourselves from this earthly view, if you know what I mean. Because in our heads, like, if we roll a ball on the ground, and it'll just like eventually you know it'll just slow down and stop but that's because we we don't like obviously register Mm -hmm. like the forces of friction and all and all that stuff but now imagine you throw a ball in space now it's easy to imagine like obviously it'll move at the constant velocity it was released at and you know until maybe Mm -hmm. it comes close to a planet or someone hits it until forces until some force acts on that ball Mm -hmm. it will remain at a constant velocity in a single direction yes go ahead (laughs) a nice way to think about it though like another nice way to say it and this is i don't like believe this. i learned this in grade seven or eight physics in india and i literally still remember the exact definition here this out yeah i don't even think physics was a class in in canada grade 7 <laughs> grade 10. yeah exactly right a body at rest will remain at rest unless a force is acted on it part 2 a body in motion will remain in motion unless a force is acted on it to resist its motion so basically a nicer way to, instead of using the word velocity, because you use the word velocity, you know, like constant velocity. And then you're like, you know, I don't know, there's just another factor to think about. But like the main idea behind the first law is that, hey, if a if if a box, like, again, think about space mainly, because like on Earth, there are a lot of factors that we don't think about, like gravity, friction, like just things that we don't really see that we don't really register, as you very well said. Mm-hmm. So like if you think about space and you just place like absolutely nothing, isolated space, you place like a ball there in the middle, it's going to remain at rest forever. That's the idea. And if let's say you just move it, just touch it in a little, little direction, 
it will continue in that direction at that same velocity mm-hmm. or speed, I should say, same thing, but forever, basically, until an, a force is exerted on it. So like that's, that might be a nicer way to put it, but like it's basically the, essentially the idea. The key word here is, in fact, velocity. Because, okay. I don't Keyword. know if we talked about vectors before. I'm sure we have. Anyways, I think we have. Velocity yeah, sure. is a vector. It is. Which means that there is a magnitude and a direction. And notice that I said a body moves with constant velocity. This means, okay, what can change a velocity? Well, a velocity can change in magnitude and it can also change in direction. So here are maybe some some examples that maybe some people haven't thought about before. The obvious one is, you know, you have a ball moving with some velocity and then someone hits it and then suddenly it's going faster. So that means a force was applied onto the ball and now the velocity vector of that ball has changed. It is now longer, has, you know, it's going faster, whatever. But just because a velocity vector doesn't change in magnitude doesn't mean a force is not applied. For example, if you have a ball on a string Very and you're, yeah. you're spinning that ball around, notice that the ball is going at the same velocity all the way around your, the, the revolution, but... Speed. Or, sorry, yeah. No, you're yeah, right. same speed. Yeah, <laughs> you're you, right. you just misspoke. Right. Yeah. Same, same, same speed. speed. Yeah. But the velocity vector is constantly changing direction and that's because at any point along the trajectory the velocity vector is perpendicular to the tension vector on the string mm-hmm. and so it's constantly you know it's hard to <laughs> explain with my hands you know what i mean yeah but especially as, for the listeners yeah yeah but as as the velocity vector goes around the circle the the tension vector follows it it essentially just traces mm-hmm. it all the it's way it's basically around. like a right angled yeah like a right angled thing That's just right. like tracing the circle the center of mass of the circle or of the ball throughout the entire circle and so that's right? the, like that's the idea that's the centripetal mm-hmm. force which doesn't change the speed of the ball mm-hmm. only changes the direction but it's still a force yeah. yeah, but we didn't really get into why it's a force, right? Like you, like you were talking about the fact that it changes velocity. And now like a nice way to think about it is, well, okay, now we know the magnitude might be the same, but we know for a fact that the direction changes. So we know the velocity is not constant. Now, if the velocity of an object is not constant, it's accelerating. Now for any object that's accelerating, there is a net force that is not equal to zero that is being applied on that object. So got from the fact that the speed is the same to the fact that the velocity vectors are different to the fact that it's accelerating, we can now conclude that there must be some force that is acting on this ball or on this object, whatever that we're swinging to remain in its same trajectory. Mm -hmm. And it turns out in the string situation, it's the force of tension that what we call the centripetal force, right? Like that centripetal force is basically the force that points from any object towards the center of the, of the, the point of rotation of the trajectory of, of, of the trajectory, right? Like the center of the ob- of the center of the circle points there. And that's basically the idea. Sure. We, we went to centripetal force without really <laughs> kind of yeah, like skipped I mean, a little. There are, there, there are four forces that, we see on an everyday basis and this is the gravitational force this is the force of friction um what's the oh yeah tension is the other one and wait i might have been mistaken yeah the normal force yeah you're right you're right yeah so those are the four forces and actually something that i know is kind of like when I was learning about the normal force, I can't, I didn't really understand it. Right? I was like, you know, if if you're on an angled plane, the normal force is perpendicular to that plane. But then when you're mm-hmm. flat, it's always okay. The point is, <laughs> the normal force is always perpendicular to the surface, and this is the reason why, um, when you're, you know, standing on the ground. You're not accelerating, you know, with respect to your, mm-hmm. uh, the frame of the earth, 
right? Yeah, because the, technically you are <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. in general relativity. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, the gravitational force on your center of mass, I guess, is completely offset by the two normal forces on your feet. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Also... Yeah, I was going to compare this to inclined planes because as soon as you um, look at an inclined plane problem, which is very common in high school physics and all that stuff, the normal force remains, of course, perpendicular to the surface. But now this is why we see an acceleration of, a, of the box is because all of a sudden the entire, like the gravitational force always points down, but now it's offset by the normal force which is now pointing at a, a different angle and so mm -hmm. you do get an acceleration in the direction parallel to the incline mm -hmm. plane mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's also where we get like work and stuff like that from oh we can kind of we can maybe touch into that later though later though i mean i was just thinking about inclined plane and you brought it up so i was thinking about it sure. but anyway so that is uh, that is a very you know understanding forces is a very important part consequence of the first law even though that is more emphasized in the second law like we actually kind of spoke a lot about the second law of motion while describing the first law but one thing i do want to talk about in the first law is inertia so inertia is the amount of resistance the body poses to motion that's a nice way to think about it actually change so, in motion because, change in motion yeah, you're correct you, you, change in motion no, there's correct. no resistance to just motion itself. absolutely you're correct you're correct so for what that means is a heavier box is harder to move than a lighter box. Mm -hmm. It's the easiest way to think about it, right? So a heavier box inherently has more inertia than a lighter box. And therefore, if a heavier box was, let's say, coming at you like a huge, like a huge box was like coming at you, you'd probably get trampled by it. But if a small one was coming at you, you can probably stop it. So it depends how fast amount, it's going. Okay, depends. Okay, yes, you're right. You're very right. Speed is also a very important component. It's actually mass and velocity that becomes a very important component in measuring how hard or the resistance well, to the change in motion. We're Basically, also going to talk stop about it or if you uh, want to move it. We're going to talk about momentum very momentum, shortly. Momentum, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's basically a way to measure it. But I did, I did want to just touch on inertia because it is an, in, it's an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. So like the idea behind inertia is like there's an inertia of rest and inertia of motion. Mm -hmm. So inertia of rest is basically an object is at rest. So how much force or what would you need to do to change its motion? So to make it start moving and inertia of motion is when an object is already in motion and you need to stop it. How much force would you need to apply to stop it? So they're just two different ways to think about. And again, all of this derives from, you know, the original first law of motion where it all can be applied. Technically, those are both the same thing because yeah. you can... No, no, they are. It's, it's the same thing. I'm just describing it in two different ways, right? Okay. Like when a body's at rest and in motion. But imagine this. In one yeah. frame, you're in, the, in your frame of reference, the box is moving. And so you mm. say, oh, the box has a an inertia of motion or whatever you called it, and I need to stop mm -hmm. that box. Mm -hmm. But then in the frame of the box, you're the one that's coming towards the box and you're putting it in motion. Yeah. And so yeah. little little touch on inertial frames there. Um, I was also gonna say, yeah, that's also a big thing to make this to make the similarity. So the reason the inertia of rest and inertia of motion are the same thing is because speaking from a like a relativistic perspective like frames of reference being in motion at constant velocity and being at rest are the, the same, same thing yeah it's the exact same thing mm -hmm. and that's one of the consequences of you know understanding inertial frames mm -hmm. so that's why for a frame to be inertial it must be traveling at constant velocity. Mm -hmm. It cannot be accelerating. Yeah, and so, so that's also something we can. The yeah. the thought experiment that I always love to talk about is, uh, you know, you have imagine a universe that is just completely empty, and then you have two people. All of a sudden, you see, you know, they're both going at a constant velocity, and uh, they cross each other, right? And so, from the perspective of guy number one. There's someone out in deep space that is coming towards them and then passes them and then keeps going the other way. From the perspective yeah. of guy number two, the exact same thing same happens. Thing. 
except from the other way. But now from from God's perspective, right, from a third person view, you just see two people coming towards each other and crossing each other. So it's kind of like, which frame is the right frame? There is no right frame, right? There's no right frame. Exactly. You could could be tracking... You could be tracking any point in the universe at a constant velocity and the physics will always work out no matter what. And that's why mm-hmm. it's so beautiful because it just always Yeah, because the out. physics, the physics, the exact same physics can be applied to an object at rest mm. than to an object in motion. That's right. Like the ideas behind, you know, looking at them at rest and looking at them at motion is the, basically the same thing. And then that's a very fundamental concept because... That basically relates to how, well, like what we perceive as force, right? Because when you say the net force on an object is zero, that could mean two things, right? That can mean it's at rest or it's, at, it's in constant motion. And the fact that that's what that means is what kind of points us in the direction to the fact that they're the same thing. Because the net force is zero in both of these situations, they must be very similar situations. And that's kind of like one thing that we can conclude from the first law. Hmm. We can also talk about moment of inertia, though. Yeah, if now, we want I, to get into now that. I want to talk about inertial terms. Oh, yeah, you were equations. talking about this. Let's get into that before. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in equations of motion, there is usually, I mean, I'm, I've only taken first year mechanics. I'm taking second and third year mechanics next year. So, you know, I might find stuff. some interesting stuff in there but for, from what i know you know in in the equations of motion there's always an an inertial term as ray you said uh like a term that opposes motion and when we're talking about translational mo- uh, motion for example mm-hmm. uh the mass of an object is the inertial term when you're applying a force in one direction the thing that makes it so that you have to apply a force is that mass that you're trying to change the velocity of okay mm-hmm. um but what because i really enjoyed learning about this when we were in first year when we were learning about rotational motion we started off by deriving the analogous equations like you know just position velocity acceleration but all you know, in terms of rotation. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the analog to the force equation in the rotational world is the torque equation. And the inertial term in the torque equation is the moment of inertia, which is different from just mass. Essentially, it's an integral like it, it, it is an integral. I mean, it is. It's 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 the it's the rotational variant of mass. It's a way to think yeah. about mass in rotational terms, right? But because as we, you were, yeah. No, I was gonna say technically, it's like it's an infinite. It's like a, a sum of if you're like how we derive it. We we talk about one point, and if mm-hmm. you have one point that's rotating around the the point of rotation, I guess, um, then the equation is mass times distance squared right Mm -hmm. and if you have multiple points that are all rotating around the same center of rotation then what you do is you just add all of those individual masses multiplied by each distance squared to that center and then of course the natural extension to that is like a continuous body so if you have like for example just a sphere that's rotating around its own axis then you have to start integrating over mm-hmm. this continuous... it might also be different densities it might yeah. i mean you that's when it could gets get a lot more complicated pretty complicated yeah um, but the idea the idea is uh, the idea is still there and the moment of inertia term that you that you were talking about the moment term is a very important concept because it's so analogous it's base it is basically analogous to mass mm-hmm. in translational terms yeah right like the way you were saying like if an object is at rest how hard it would be to push it would be dependent on its mass and the same way to think about it in terms of rotating things it's dependent on its moment now the mm-hmm. moment as you very well said is just you know the sum of all of these individual mass and distances. And the interesting thing about it is that there can be some crazy shapes. 
You know, like we've seen some really crazy shapes where, you know, there can also be different distributions of mass. Like, let's say, for example, on like a vinyl record tape, you're trying to find, I don't know why you would, but you're trying to find some equation. You would be talking about the distribution of the mass of how heavy each and every, you know, section is. So there would be a lot of different uh, takes to something like that, like a more complicated situation, like a more complicated mm -hmm. system. But it all revolves around the moment of inertia, which and is basically again the the amount that the body resists or resistant res the amount that the body resists resists a change in motion. Wow. Okay, <laughs> I could not say that word that for the great. <laughs> love. Okay, resists. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, if you don't believe me, listen to this okay. little example. Okay, in terms of you know why is like mass times distance squared and then like summed over the entire shape or whatever. Why does that represent the inertial okay, term? Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so now just think about this. I'm not going to literally go through the derivation, but here we go. Um, you have a box. You try to accelerate it, whatever. It, it takes this amount of force. Um, and now the box grows in mass. It's harder to accelerate that box, right? Mm -hmm. I.e. the mass is the inertial term. Now, let's say... You are like spinning around. You have a mass on um, like a string. So now you're rotating a uh, mass on a string. There are two situations that can happen. One, if you increase the mass of that object that you're rotating, it's going to be harder to keep spinning it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, case number two, the mass stays constant, but the distance from your hand, the string gets longer, it will also become harder to rotate that, that object. Mm -hmm. A very easy example is when you see like dancers, when they, they do like a spin with their arms out, they rotate slowly. And then when they bring their arms in, they start rotating super quickly. That has mm -hmm. to do with the moment of inertia because your, your mass distribution in general gets closer to your, the, the axis of rotation. And so it's easier for your body to, to rotate. So you start spinning faster. Mm -hmm. As you said, it was dependent on M and R, right? Like in a relationship, like MR squared, but yeah. like that's a, the relationship basically between moment of inertia and these things are mass and radius, as you very well said. So yeah, so it's dependent on how you increase these things. And uh, also it's the square of the radius, which is also interesting. So mm -hmm. if you double the mass, it will be x amount of force but if you double the radius it will be quadruple the amount of force so like that's like that's a nice way to think about it because yeah. of the relationship that they have right so yeah so that's basically a moment of inertia and like kind of understanding the differences between like you know rotational and translational just a little bit here kind of touched sure. on torque too sure. but i think i think now we can move on to i think uh do you want to talk anything more um, no no I was, I was just gonna say that in Talk the about. near future maybe uh, okay we're gonna make an episode on rotational motion but i think we might have to like let's do it <laughs> we might have to whip up some ideas to talk like an entire hour about it but yeah it's, it is a, a, an interesting topic rotational but... motion is really interesting because we can get you know angular velocity we can get angular momentum we can talk about that kind mm. of stuff you know all of that gets stuff i mean i i said the word momentum and now we naturally need to move into it but uh, yeah, so the, the, there are a lot of cool things that we can talk in the, in, the, in the rotational episode for sure. But now let's focus on Newton. Let's focus on Newton's second law. The second law of motion is, you know, the popular, the popular uh, F equals MA equation that, you know, everyone knows and loves. But basically, again, the, the purpose of that equation, kind of resorting back to what I was talking about when we were talking about the first law, the main purpose of this is simply to relate the fact that acceleration and force are related right like i think that's the big thing like you know with e equals mc squared the big thing is that energy and mass are related like with f equals ma the big thing isn't the equation like okay cool like you, you found out a relationship but the big thing is that force net force i should say i should keep saying net force and acceleration are related to each other i mean i think the mass part is equally as important no it's important but the idea is that without acceleration there will be no force and with acceleration there will be a force so mass doesn't really 
have a have a play in that is what I'm trying to say. I mean, no it's because of the force. acceleration that we register a force. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, and and we can talk. So in the previous episode, in episode 62, if you guys checked it out with Dr. Pekka Sinervo, he uh, he spoke about something quite interesting, a very interesting idea that Newton actually originally thought of as well. Like this was his original interpretation of force and acceleration. That force wasn't really an actual measurable uh, quantity. It was simply a theoretical concept. What was measurable is the acceleration. We look at a body, we watch it accelerate, and we say there's a force. Even if someone like hits us like a force, what we're really feeling is our body moving. And via that motion, basically that acceleration, we are interpreting that there was a force applied. So that is a big thing that, you know, the second law gets out. Just that relationship between both of these variables. Mm -hmm. And also, a lot of people refer to the second law as F equals MA, but there's actually another way to uh, look at this law. And let's see, you do need like a little bit of calculus notation here, but I'll try to be very explicative. So the velocity is the rate of change of the position with respect to time. So we're going to say it's dx by dt, right? That's just notation, okay? And then acceleration is the rate of change of velocity with respect to time. So it's dv by dt, but also since v is dx dt, then we could say it's the second derivative of position with respect to time. Now, momentum is defined, it's just a quantity defined by the mass times the velocity. And so as we talked about a little bit earlier, if there's a big box, very heavy, moving towards you at a slow velocity, right, it's going to be hard to stop that box. But it will be equally as hard to stop a light box moving at a fast velocity because um, the momentum is proportional to the mass and velocity so if you tone down the mass increase the velocity you can have the same amount of momentum coming at you from two different types of boxes right so the force is actually defined as the rate of change of the momentum with respect to time and this actually relates to um the rocket science episode that we did because notice how the rate of change of momentum is the rate of change of mass times velocity and so not only can um this like if your mass is constant and you know that for sure then that just becomes mass times acceleration because you can pull that out of the derivative but well, not acceleration, just t- change in v. Oh, because you're saying yeah. you're saying force equals force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're, right, you're right. So, so yeah, force is going to be mass times acceleration. Yeah, but yeah. like we talked about in the rocket science episode, if you have a an object that has a variable mass and a variable velocity, then it's not so simple because now all of a sudden, for my calculus students out there, you have a product rule because now your mass is a function of you know it may be time or position and your velocity is also a function of time or position and so you have to do some product rule chain rule business and uh, your equation for force is going to be very uh more complicated (laughs) whatever the word more complicated for you yeah yeah it's going to include all of these uh important terms but the idea behind that again is that is that momentum term right like understanding that uh, that change in momentum relationship with force so now we can not only understand the relationship between acceleration and force but now we also have another relationship to go by you know the f- the force and the change in momentum which is an interesting thing have we even th- have we spoken about momentum i don't think we really touched kind on of. it too much but like again i mean we we were kind of discussing it this whole time basically like 
your mass times velocity. And again, that's more translational momentum. And we can also kind of... Oh, and, and one awesome thing about momentum yeah. is the conservation of oh, momentum. Oh, that's a big but one. But I guess we could, I think uh, we could save this for another episode where we talk about energy and momentum together. That would be good. Anyways, we can talk. We can no, keep talking. I, th- I mean, about- I think I think conservation of momentum is quite important in this kind this kind of regard, and it wouldn't take too long because it's just saying that. I think I think it's a it's it's an important concept because momentum, I mean, like energy, is an important concept by itself, and we can make an episode on that. But I don't think we should sacrifice what okay. we can talk about we'll here. Go, go right ahead. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. So momentum, as we were talking about, very very important concept. You know, relating. As you were saying, like, you know, the amount, like the, how hard is it to stop an object or to move an object is dependent both on its mass and velocity. So here, the conservation of momentum law is is kind of a universal law, which is basically for any isolated system, no matter what happens, no matter what interactions are occurring, the total momentum of that system will always be the same no matter what and what does this in what does this entail well think about the a very simple example and this is usually what people start with a billiard ball you know playing pool for example like when you hit a ball and it hits another one i mean in a perfect world obviously we don't live in a perfect world like there's still like you know edges on the ball and stuff like that but in a perfect world that ball would transfer all of its momentum to the other one or the ball would hit the other one and they would both take some portion of the momentum or you know the ball would just rebound and take all the momentum basically saying that the momentum of those two balls the total momentum of those two balls will always be the same so in an isolated system Hmm. kind of the gist of the conservation of momentum very Hmm. important Hmm. idea also i believe thought of from newton's laws of motion Probably. I mean, probably. Uh, I think probably. I think uh, like conservation of momentum is like you can derive it directly from the third law, which yes, yes, can, you can. can we, so probably. Should, are we yeah, done we with the second law? It. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we can get into it. Why not? So the third law states that for every force on one body, there is an equal and opposite force on another Ooh. body. Okay. As Brehan said, if you punch a wall, the reason why your hand will hurt is because the wall exerted a force that was equal but opposite, right? It's the same reason why you can't just, you know, push a tree over. It's because the tree mm-hmm. resists the force that you put on it. Well, not um, always equal and opposite. Like, if you just break the wall, then it's not going to be well, equal. Well, that's because, right? that's because then the wall has <laughs> it an can't. acceleration. Exactly, exactly. So you can't provide enough normal force to counteract your your punch. So it would break it, right? Exactly. Um, But something that's interesting, right, is that when you jump, if you just go outside, you don't even have to go outside, you can just jump. The force that you apply on the earth to accelerate your body upwards is the same force that the earth applies on your feet for you to be able to jump. And so the earth and your body are both moving away from the like from the common uh, center of mass with the same um, the same like transfer of energy. If that is it, is it, is it, does that make sense? like same trend like for like for example you're changing your momentum from zero in your frame to whatever Mm -hmm. your mass is times the velocity you leave the earth at right Mm -hmm. but you're giving the earth Mm -hmm. the same amount of momentum but in the opposite because remember momentum momentum is a vector it's a directional quantity so if you are getting momentum upwards it's that the reason it's still conserved is because the earth is getting momentum downward, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So it'll so always cancel out. You are actually single-handedly moving the entire earth downwards by yeah. jumping. So it's a way to think about it. That's fun. <laughs> there was a really cool video I remember called what if everyone jumped at once? Yeah. Like what if everyone on the happen. earth jumped at once? 
The thing is, it would be a little interesting. You know why? Because the land is not symmetrical around the earth. Like, you know, it's not it's not equal okay. in like the first quadrant yeah, yeah. as it is in the third and the second as it is in the fourth. So if people jump, I don't know. You know, I don't may, think anything would the happen, to be honest. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no way because obviously we cannot... We cannot really, we cannot push out that much force because us mm-hmm. jumping up is literally nothing for the earth. Literally nothing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't really matter. But yeah, so again, another important consequence of this is understanding the normal force that you were talking about, right? Like just thinking about, okay, maybe we can talk about that later. But like thinking about just a book on a table, like why is it remaining on that table and not falling to the ground? Because the table is applying a force that is mm-hmm. equal to the book's force of gravity. Now the interesting thing about the normal force is that it'll it keeps changing. It keeps changing dependent on how much weight or mat or technically weight is the correct word, how much weight is being applied on it. So the heavier the object, the more the normal force the table or whatever will provide. Now obviously there's a breaking point which becomes which is when as we were saying, you know, like the 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 normal force cannot equal the gravitational force and it simply breaks yeah. hence accelerating the table but this is but, just a strictly like structural yeah, uh, property yeah. of the table that you're mm-hmm. applying yeah there's uh, also a consequence of simply the normal force right like understanding the normal force it's not really it's not really a f- i mean it is a, obviously it is a force but it's only a force present to counteract another force that's the only reason it's there the only reason it's there is to counteract something else. So it's not really its own force. One thing we didn't, and I, now that I'm saying not its own own force, I'm really thinking of the centrifugal force, the centrifugal force that we didn't really touch on when yeah. we were talking about the first law. I mean, isn't uh, centrifugal, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an invisible force. Yeah, because the centrifugal be- force is, is is literally an apparent force because it's that felt, is acting. But it's not real, right? Isn't that no? It it's it's not real. It's the no, but that's what I said. I said it it can be felt, but it's not an mm-hmm. actual force. Exactly, so for exactly. Example, it's what's the way the, to think? Wait, about? Let, let me say the, this here. Yeah, if you're, if it, you're in it. a car and you are turning, you know, mm, at ninety degrees. That's a nice way to think. You're, you're turning you. to the right. Okay, Beautiful. so what happens is that the the centripetal force is actually the friction between the tires and the road, right? Because that's keeping the car in its its orbit around <laughs> orbit. the around the <laughs> way to the, think about it. In its circular track. In its circular track, yeah. So the centripetal force is between the tires and the road. It's the friction, right? Mm-hmm. And notice how if the road is icy, for example, there's not enough centripetal force to keep it in its orbit. It'll go off, you know, it'll go straight, for example. That's because the car requires a force for it to go around in a circle, for it to change its velocity vector, the direction in this case. But if you no longer have that friction, then you no longer have that rotation and your car just goes off in one direction mm-hmm. but let's say it's a nice summer day you're in that car let's say you're not wearing a seatbelt. what happens is that your body is moving straight until you get to the intersection and then once the car starts rotating or starts moving around the corner your body is still moving in that straight direction so in in your uh, in your uh, frame, of reference, frame of reference, yeah, in your frame of reference, you're actually going to be moving. Let's say you're doing like a right hand turn. Your body is going mm-hmm. to be moving to the left, and this is called the centrifugal force because you feel a force when you turn to the right. You feel a force acting to the left, right, in the opposite direction of the centripetal force. That's more inertia, though, because the thing with I, yeah, that it, it is, is because. Yeah, that's a lot more inertia because the idea behind a car, like sitting in a car, is that the moment the car turns, your butt, like that's sitting on the seat, is moving to the right. But your head is still moving straight. 
So that is why your whole torso, including your legs, moves towards the right, but your head moves towards the left. It's not actually moving towards the left. It's actually moving straight isn't that in the, the head's frame of reference. That you feel. Like, it's not, it's not an actual force, but it's just the force that you feel that's pulling you to the, the other side. I guess that is... No, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is actually... Yeah, okay, that is actually a way... Yeah, that's unless a valid just, way to think about this. Unless I just totally force. don't understand the centrifuge. No, because the way I I love to think about it is like in those in those kid... Those kiddie things, you know, like when... Uh, what are those things called? Like, you know, no, when you that, run okay. around it and then you go yeah, in those yeah. circles? In that case, right. In that, if that's your example for centrifugal force, then what I said is completely valid. <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's what I'm saying, right? No, that's what I'm saying. I think yours still works, but it is a little bit more inertia because of the car situation, because of the fact that you're sitting in a car it's the exact and your same body thing is moving in one direction. It's, no, it, right, it's the exact same thing because imagine the car is on a circular track, then your body's just going to be a bit on the door the entire time. And that's exactly what you're describing is the, like the carnival things that spin around, you know? Isn't that what like, you're trying to say? Yeah, basically, yeah, okay, yeah. Very similar, very similar arguments. Both centrifugal forces. I know some people say, I used to say centrifugal, but then a lot of people say centrifugal. doesn't really matter. Idea, though, is that it's a, it's called an apparent force, right? Basically, okay, right. basically, as you very well said, it's not a real force. Right, so on yeah. Wikipedia it says, the centrifugal force is an inertial force. So it is, in fact, Okay, well, okay, so then... Saying. Okay, perfect, perfect. So we're saying the same thing then. So that so that centrifugal force is basically the f- the effect, the feeling of inertia is a way to think about it. Because again, that car example is a very nice example similar to like why people say you should wear a seatbelt, right? Because if you if you're like sitting in the middle and someone were to immediately brake, your legs and your entire torso is still sitting on the car. Like it's still connected to the car. Or at least trying to, but your head is not. Your entire body is not. So you move. Wait, when I say torso, I meant top. I, I meant bottom, by the way. Sorry, I did not mean torso. I was not talking about the torso. I meant the bottom part of your, the bottom part yeah. of our body. Sorry. So anyways, you guys know what I mean, though. Like there's one part that's isolated from the car that's free to move. And when that thing moves, the whole body moves with it, right? Because of inertia. And that's another way to think about it, right? Like that's where inertia kind of plays a very important role in all of these laws almost, right? Like inertia is very important. It comes in the first law as just what it is. It comes in second law as momentum. And I here can it just is. imagine like you giving a lecture. You're like, you walk into the class, you're like, all right, students, welcome to your class on uh, Newton's laws. Now imagine you're in a car crash. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. That's I can first. see that. <laughs> <laughs> the I reason why you fly through the windshield is <laughs> oh i can see that <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's a good example for a it is a good example it's a nice way to think about it right <laughs> it's just funny but um but yeah, yeah. so we're, we're talking about the third law uh-huh. um which you know i was talking about the earth and jumping off of the earth which actually reminded me of the newton's law of gravitation okay oh the big Um, one or not well it just uh it just says that i mean it it gives you a formula to calculate the the gravitational force Mm -hmm. um you know of an object that's orbiting but one thing that i do remember from first year is that uh our professor he was talking about like how newton really thought about these these ideas of of uh, orbiting and all that stuff and he said well this i don't know if this is true but he said that you know newton went on a tower he was standing on a tower and he threw a rock down and he's like okay there's an arc to that to that rock and uh if i throw it faster i throw it harder that arc is broader and the object goes further now what if i just keep throwing it harder and harder and that arc extends beyond the horizon from where i can see how hard do i have to throw that rock for that like the trajectory of that rock to go 
beyond the horizon and hit me in the back of the head, right? And that's kind of where he started. Like He went from his equations that described projectile motion and all that stuff and transferred to orbital mechanics, which is, uh, at the end of the day, where... Um, Newton's gravitational or universal gravitational constant came from mm -hmm. and where the law of gravitation came from, which essentially states that uh, the force, the gravitational force on a satellite, for example, is proportional to the mass of the satellite, the mass of the Earth, and also the distance between the two centers of masses squared. Mm. So there you go. Well, that's the formula. Not that many listeners are really going to do much with that formula, but that's no, but the that, idea. that's just what he again. What the relationship thinks. is important, right? Again, like in this, it's really hard when we are trying to explain like science, like a lot of scientific things that are very well explained in a formula. But again, the main purpose of the formula is simply understanding the relationship. Mm -hmm. So what you were just saying right there is basically a nice way to say, hey, the force of gravity is is directly proportional to the masses of both the objects. So if you increase them, the force of gravity increases and is inversely proportional to the square of the distance between them. So you increase the distance, the force of gravity, like you double the distance, the force of gravity will one fourth, right? Basically because it is in, it's proportional to one over R squared. Hmm. And a very interesting consequence of mixing the universal law of gravity with Newton's third law is that the force of gravity that the bigger planet like for example let's take like a big planet and a satellite like a moon when i say satellite i mean like a like a natural satellite like a moon like an orbiting moon or something so um yeah so the force of gravity that is applied on the moon towards the earth is the same that the moon applies on the earth towards itself towards the moon now, the interesting thing about this is where we get to, I, I don't know why, I just thought of this and I'm like, it's just a cool thing to talk about. Title locking. We already Title talked locking. about this. <laughs> oh, did we, we already talk about Astronomy, it? yeah. Episode. Oh, I think we did, right? I mean, let me just yeah, touch yeah, on ahead. it for those that yeah. might have forgotten. Yeah. Title locking is a really interesting thing, phenomenon that you see in various planetary systems with uh, a planet and its satellite, again, natural satellite where basically because the planet is more massive, obviously, than its satellite, it is tugging or the force of gravity that it is applying on the satellite, even though the magnitudes are the same, relative to the size, relative to the both the masses, it's, you know, it's kind of more on the smaller satellite. You know what I mean? Like, like pushing the earth with one Newton is going to be harder than pushing the moon with one Newton, even though one Newton is nothing. Just that that analogy is what I'm trying to get through, like because it's a smaller object, it's easier to push around. So because the satellite is naturally a smaller object than the than the planet it's orbiting, it gets pulled technically a little bit more than it pulls the planet, even though they're pulling the same. It's just the effect on that this, planet. This is just easily explainable by yeah. what we were saying earlier, how the inertial term here is the mass. And so it's. The, the the earth opposes that pull from the moon mm -hmm. more than the moon opposes the pull from the well earth put. Yeah. because the well moon put. has a smaller inertial term even though third law uh, newton's third law they both feel an equal force exactly pulling towards each other it's just the moon it it it, it appears I mean, from our perspective, it doesn't even look like anything's changing except for the tides, which mm -hmm. were only connected to the effects of the moon mm -hmm. relatively anyway, not yeah. that long ago. Yeah so, yeah, so that's definitely the inertial term is a better way to put it, to think about those, to think about what I was saying. I know I was kind of fumbling in the end, but that un understanding that will then lead to the fact that, hey, because this smaller object is feeling, I'm going to say feeling a, more, a greater force, even though you guys now know that's not true, but feeling a greater force, not actually greater force. So now that the smaller guy is feeling that greater, that, that greater force, what's happening is there's one side of that planet that continuously gets tugged towards the bigger guy, right? Because as it's orbiting, there's going to be one side, let's say the satellite's also rotating in its own axis, there's going to be one side of that satellite that 
continuously gets pulled towards the planet. And basically what this, what this causes is a slight bulge, a slight bulge in the satellite. Also, because remember the forces are the same, it also causes a slight bulge in the planet. So in the, in the, in the, in the mother planet, it also causes a slight bulge. So for example, a common, a commonly known fact is the earth is actually not spherical, right? It's a lot, it's I think like some 40 or 50 kilometers uh, wider at the equator than at the poles, right? Because it's got a less, slightly a bulge. But now the moon having such less mass than the earth is affected a lot more. So the bulge is so prominent that it basically faces the earth forever and basically cannot rotate anymore because that one side is so much closer to the mother planet. And that's the idea behind tidal locking because of the fact, you know, because of the mixture between the universal law of gravitation and the fact that these forces are equal. I mean, because these forces actually, are equal, this is possible. It, right? it doesn't it doesn't face the earth because one side, I mean, if you if you go deep into it, I guess it is because one side is being pulled more than the other, but it's actually yeah. because the because the earth is rotating mm -hmm. right the bulge from the earth is actually it, it causes a torque because uh, when the moon was rotating the torque that the bulge <laughs> we say bulge a lot in, in this conversation <laughs> here <laughs> we have to we have to but okay so the bulge of the earth um that um what it does is it creates a torque on the moon that slows the rotation of the moon down. And then over time, the moon slows down and slows down and then eventually stops with respect to the earth. And then that's why we only see one side of it. And interestingly enough, right now, the moon is moving away from us at a rate of about two to four inches per year. And actually the so, reason for that, the reason it's for actually, that um, is because the, once again, the, the good old bulge of the earth is yep. actually pulling on the moon slowing down its orbit the moon is actually moving slower and slower around the earth um, every year by a small amount but the reason why it's moving away from the earth is because of the conservation of angular momentum which has to do with uh mass or sorry which has to do with 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 the velocity and like distance from the uh, point of rotation and all that stuff mm -hmm. isn't the wait the actual uh equation is mvr right mass velocity radius if it's like a perfectly circular yeah i forgot the form that's right <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's definitely yeah, i right. think so <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh so essentially if the if if um what i'm what i'm trying to say here is that the angular momentum is conserved and so if the earth is slowing down the moon the velocity is decreasing then something has to compensate for that and in this case the mass is not changing and so the radius from the moon to the earth has to increase to compensate for that decrease in velocity and so how is the, the moon, moon so wait isn't it moves away isn't it the other way around? Because the moon is actually pulling on the earth now more than the, because the moon is already tidally locked with the earth. Interestingly enough, and everyone's going to love this, earth's rotation is actually slowing down. So mm. one day is getting longer and longer every year. Now, obviously by a microscopic oh, wait, amount that... that's what i'm saying i think you got i think you yeah, right. I think no, you said I think it the opposite right, yeah. i think you said it the opposite way so basically no, the no, moon no. is actually tugging on the earth that's causing the earth to slow in its rotation yeah yeah now when yeah, the yeah. earth is slowing in its rotation the energy has to go somewhere so that basically translates into the moon gaining energy and moving away from the earth that's and that I mean. is simply because they are both not tidally locked to each other but instead, the moon is only tidally locked to the Earth and not the other way around. A common example, Pluto and Sh Chiron, Sh Chiron one, of its one of its satellites, are tidally locked to each other. So basically, if you, look at if you look at this planetary system, they're always facing each other, which is like a really cool sight to see. And yeah, <laughs> so that's basically why the moon is moving away, which is, I think, a really cool topic that you brought yeah. up that we... Yeah.
I'm we glad actually to did about. cover this entire topic in yeah in i think so i think episode. i recognize i think i are the... a, a little bit of deja vu in this conversation for sure mm-hmm. yeah for sure so well i yeah. think uh i think uh, i think balls. we've spoken all all we have to speak about I don't yeah. think there's anything else. Uh, if you guys have any questions, any recommendations yeah. for episodes, make sure to send us uh, an email, a comment, or a message on Instagram at math.physics.podcast. Go follow because we're almost at a thousand followers. Did I say that the 100K Q&A was up yeah, today in this episode? You I don't did. think I did. Yeah, did, did I? Did. Oh, I did. Okay, cool. Because I just wanted to mention it again. Yep. Go check out the 100K Q&A. It's on YouTube. It will be coming down from Instagram, right? So go check yeah. it out on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. right. Go check yeah. it out on YouTube. So it's gonna be coming down on Instagram sometime this week. So go check it out on YouTube if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, yeah. Other than that, I think that's it. I think also, that is it. This is just a yeah. little PSA for my sake. <laughs> if okay. uh, if any of our listeners play chess, you can add oh, me on. Nice. Uh, I, I play on LeeChess.com. Or .org, sorry. You can add me. Uh, I think it's just my name. I'll put it in the description. Anyways. Uh, nice. Other than that, you know, I like that's to play cool. chess. But so uh, That's awesome. That's so awesome. Uh, I guess that's everything for today. Yes, sir. Uh, let's just take a moment and say thank let's you. Let's just to take everybody. a moment. Thank let's you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. This has been episode number 63 of the Math and Physics podcast, going for one year plus. Oh, that one year. One year and 20 days, everybody. Congratulations to yep, us. Yep, May 9th. Yep. All yep, right. Let's see it. Uh, yes, I am dragging this on. So uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. Uh, I am your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon. Bye, everybody.